ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was, like, wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, (laughs) you you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Hola socios, hola equipo. My name is Neil. I'm Liam. This is John Norberger from Kansas City, Missouri, USA. Maury Field near Brisbane in Queensland. Edinburgh. Barcelona. And I'm a socio. I'm a socio. I'm a socio of the big interview. My name is Neil. I'm originally from Scotland, but now living in Barcelona. Hey, why did I become a socio? Well, you could reference uh, Mr. Hunter's knowledge and access to some great football characters, but I'm going to go for his exceptional use of swear words. He really seems to strike the right chord. They're not overused. (laughs) As a Scotsman, it's something I uh, really value. My favourite interview of the season, I'm going to go for Kevin Kilban. He came across as a really open, honest, funny and down-to-earth guy. In general, seemed like the sort of person you could happily sit down, have a pint with him and just listen to his stories. From Backpage, I'm Martin Gregg and this is the big interview Q&A for March. The questions, as ever, come from our sponsors at Bet365 and our socios at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter where you can sign up to access extra big interviews and other exclusive content including the audio versions of all of Graham's columns for ESPN. On the line from Barcelona is Graham Hunter. Graham, the first question comes from Curtis Dean. What are your thoughts on the potential affiliation between Barca and Ajax? It will be good for the Barca players to gain first team experience by going on loan to Ajax but surely the only winners here are going to be Barca it's interesting I'm not so sure uh, Curtis because um, I think that I've seen sufficient numbers of uh, youngish players come to Barcelona and irrespective of the era there's a level of intensity of pressure and constant pressure that even Footballers who think they've had it tough or demanding at other football outfits need to shift their perceptions, shift their level, even before you look at how they play. And I'm not sitting here in awe and saying Barca's the biggest club in the world by any means, but there's a repetitive theme and it's something that's consistently pointed out by ex-players. The one I work with most is Steve Archibald, although I speak to many, many um, Spanish, Catalan and ex-Barca players of other um, nationalities. But Steve always, when he's analysing 
pleasure to come in, talks first about the instant indications of mentality he gets. And for example, he's always found that Coutinho looks like a player in his view who looks quickly lost and who is used to playing jazz solos rather than making sure that the everybody in the band is in tune. And therefore, the point I'll come round to, come back to, is that I think De Jong is not part of your question in that they've had to pay a king's ransom for him. And he looks a clever footballer and he's patently a, a, an intelligent, adept footballer. How he adapts, we'll have to wait and see. De Ligt, who's part of the, the this new idea that the relationships between the club should take advantage of the centre-half's desire to play not only with De Jong, but at Football Club Barcelona. There's a, there's, in recent days, there's been a kind of cute photo, just as there was with Mark van Bommel, and a cute photo of De Ligt as a, as a six, seven-year-old in his um, Barca kit during the... Um, the summer, visiting the camp now and evidently had been taken there by his parents on a Costa Brava holiday. Done the tour whenever that was. But for my taste, um, one, I I haven't seen sufficient to be, you know, crystal clear about the player. And then there's the Barca factor that I was talking about, that when players come in, automatically they have to find a new gear in their daily performance. They have to become accustomed to playing with with Messi or with Busquets or um, in a time when things aren't going particularly well. And it costs. It really costs. So if you say automatically the winners are Football Club Barcelona, then, you know, I'd say there's a there's a fair wind in your favour that you could be right. But guaranteed, you know, I'm not so sure. And then secondly, what the idea is, is that the relationship currently between the two boards... Um, and the two directors of football at Barca and Ajax is such that there is now a, a, a gentle indication that there are there are one or two B-team players, Oriol Busquets being one, Miranda being another, the most famous case of all being Ricky Pooch, um, Ricky Pooch being this um, mercurial, um, sharp, brave, but very slender, very young footballer who <laughs> the current organiser of the football department, uh, Pep Segura, was trying to push out of the club because he was too skinny and too small. Will they never learn? He has, because of Valverde's willingness to take him on the tour, um, summer tour of uh, the States uh, last year, his emergence has become accelerated, much more demanded by fans and media. And during the subsequent year, whether playing for Barca B or coming on and playing for Catalonia the other day against Venezuela, Ricky Puig is patently, you know, not yet in the category of De Jong or De Ligt in that they're much older. They've played Champions League football there. They're about to joust for um, a semi-final Champions League place if they if they were to put Juventus out. And Ricky Puig is several stages behind that. But in terms of his profile and his talent, in terms of the expectation that a footballer like him generates at, at Barca, it's clear that that those who, like you, are are reacting positively to the idea of footballers being loaned out from Football Basse or for Barca B to Ajax, 
they can't, or Todibo is another one. Todibo, the centre half that they bought from Toulouse and um, brought in at Christmas. There's a perception that this is going to be a very good ball playing centre half. And where you loan somebody, um, if, if anybody listened to the podcast we did earlier this um, season with Jolene Lescott, then you'll understand that the science of um, why you move a player out on loan and then where you move them to with what goals, how you monitor them, what you expect back from that loan period, that science is becoming far more, not regulated, but far more calibrated. It's becoming treated as a, a subject of, of a, well, uh, treated as a process. It genuinely becomes scientific. And therefore, I do see your point that the way that Ajax are not only thoroughly willing to play footballers of talent when they're young, they almost have to do it as a, as of necessity, at least until recently when Mark Overmars... Um, ability to to spot and promote footballers like um, I mean De Jong and Delict come to mind because they're coming to well at least De Jong is already coming to the camp now and it looks like Delict will come there too but Taliafico at, at left back is is very promising uh, Tadic has now got a completely revindicated reputation but the, the fact remains that Ajax are going to be well over a couple hundred million euros better off. Yeah, I don't think, if you look at the way that they've renewed Marco Fomar's contract as, as director of football, I don't think their idea is going to change. And therefore, if they're, if the players, if this relationship, this little bridge were built between Barca and Ajax, there's a commonality of goal. There's um, a chance of taking the price of the delict deal down a little bit, or at least moderating it. And there's the concept that for so long as the right people stay in charge at Ajax, that's the board. Um, Van der Sar's importance at the moment is given that his his role is about finance and, and marketing is, is less vital, but his presence still guarantees the idea of that mid-90s Van Hal side of Mars as football director. I think that the the idea of young players of of great ability being loaned out there to get experience, they're playing in a league whereby um, the idea of what you do with the ball generally, not just at Ajax, is, is is generally along the lines that Barcelona want to see their players developing, and therefore, I I, I can I can see that Barca would be eager. Um, to seal this deal. It makes real common sense. And if it were to be the case for two, three, four, five years, then suddenly you've got a better bridge between Barca B and, and Barca than is currently being provided because the argument about is there enough talent, if they handle things well in development and football Basi at Barcelona will be like, well, what do we do with this talent if there if there was to be an increase in the flow? And when we saw the cup game, I'll, I'll close on this. Um, when we when we saw the cup game, where Valverde wasn't trying to get out of the cup, but was taking notice of particularly Carlos Puyol's argument at the end of last season that Barcelona were over overly obsessed by the cup, and that was costing him in the Champions League. And Valverde experimented, and and if you watched it, then Curtis, you'll have spotted the fact that. Um, when there was a couple of, of B-team players used, um, 
Miranda is a good case. You know, they lasted to halftime and about five minutes after halftime. And and Levante looked like they were going to run away with the tie. And I think at that stage, the, the score was 2-0 to Levante. And OK, they got overturned. And I think Coutinho got a late penalty. My memory dims a little bit. But I think that one was 2-1. And Barcelona eventually went through. But it, it was patent that the level of football that Barcelona B play at the moment uh, or are playing in at the moment isn't a sufficient test even to, to face Levante in a cup tie. Therefore, there, there, there is real profitability and, and I'd hope that your your point, Curtis, is augmented by the fact that if Ajax choose the players well, that they get um, you know a good fee for... Um, taking the players on loan or a good sell-on if they have a... It, it could be that the players aren't just loaned. Some of them might be sold with a buyback, which is just an, an official way of agreeing a fee for the whole thing. You, you, you sell them for for four. You sell a player to IX for four. The buyback clause is 10. And you just say, OK, for that year spent with you, we'll pay six when we get them back. It, the, the book part of it, the, or the accountancy book part of it, I'm a lot less interested in. But I back your idea that it it can be, in theory, uh, very worthwhile all round, yeah. Second question is from Diana Yao, who would have recorded her question, but she's not feeling well. Get well soon, Diana. She asks, as a Manchester United supporter, am I wrong to say that my club does not stand a chance against Barcelona? <laughs> I echo Martin's sentiments. Get, get very well very soon. Um, you're important to us. Um... Yeah, I think I think you already know the answer to this question. I I think that you are toying with the the question and toying with me in that you know the the the, the word impossible when you're looking at the types of results that Solskjaer has had since taking over. If you look at the Harry Houdini Act that they came up with at the Parc de Prince, if you look at items within their repertoire that can be very important. Barcelona might start as um, as favourites, and I think justifiably in that they've been very rigorous this year, this, this season, very intense, very concentrated. It's absolutely clear that while they, they stand, you know, not on the verge of, but within sight of a third treble, that um, a one-off match against Valencia in the Copa final is something they can, however you treat it, you know, in the week building up to the final, they can put that aside. Um, they will win the title in Spain. Um, I don't see um, circumstances, even if Messi were injured, I, I don't see the circumstances where Barcelona don't complete that title. And therefore, uh, particularly given that Leo Messi said at the beginning of the season, as you very well know in the Gamper game, that his main task and his eyes um, as new captain was to be a a proper successor to the last two captains who we admired, Xavi and Iniesta, and to bring that beautiful trophy that we crave so much back to camp now. And therefore, the Champions League is a vast priority for Barcelona. And when you get elite players who are so concentrated, so determined, who haven't lost focus, none of the crap that goes on in in, in the worlds of or the atmospheres of, of international footballers um, is affecting them. When you get that... Then they become a very potent force. Now let's let's not discard other sides like, for example, Juventus or City, Liverpool. You know, still clear strong candidates to win. Never mind get through. Sorry, Spurs. But despite that, 
City possessed certain things. First of all, when when Leo Messi played against Venezuela, was it? Yeah, played 90 minutes, a 3-1 defeat against Venezuela and came home not because of a pact uh, with Scaloni that um, he only played 50% of the international matches. He came home because he had a groin problem a couple of weeks ago in between the hat-trick he scored at Sevilla and the hat-trick he scored at Betis. Um, I think during the second classical of that spell, the, the only time that they've played, the two sides have played twice within the space of three days, he was caught just holding that part where the top of the thigh meets the groin, where pubalgia is the name of the affliction here in Spain. And every sports person, man, woman, amateur professional, is that if you have a groin injury, which I'm suffering at the moment, um, it's deeply painful, it's deeply unsettling and with Messi it, it reoccurs so he came home because he had more of that and and, and so how does that how does that leave the build up to the tie definitely with a question mark over it I think more creatively because I think probably everybody except for die hard United fans wants Messi to play in that so that we see a proper test club to club but United have things that Barcelona don't like um, United are able to play very vertically, very quickly. And I don't mean long balls. You know what I mean in that um, on form, they can go back to front via passing movements very quickly. And what's more, um, say particularly Rashford, but Marshall if available, Pogba if on form, they have a pace that can get through the middle of a team. And one of the things, as you well know, DY, from watching Barcelona, is that if you can isolate um, Busquets, if you can rob him or rob whoever's next to him or rob the person who's just in front of him and then sprint away, teams that leave Barcelona who, who can supersede the idea that Rakitic and or Vidal are, are Busquets' bodyguards, if you can make Busquets turn and run, then Barcelona can look vulnerable if Gerard Piquet is in one of his excursions up front and that happens to coincide with Busquets being cut out of the play. Barcelona don't quite have a soft underbelly, but they can be opened up by clever, pacey, vertical counterattacks. And United have that in their locker. And in all honesty, while I see Barcelona um, maybe in an epic sec second leg probably going through, and, and it would be a lie not to say that they start favourites, I still don't think um, that the tie is as cut and dried. If Manchester United can find form, they, they've they've also got aerial power, which is the probably the second thing that Barcelona like least about opponents. If and, and they've latterly tried to cope with it, particularly if you watch them defending free kicks in the final third, you know, defensive free kicks in in the final third of of their half. They've now got this system where they hold a very high line, so there's a chasm of space, almost like a breakwater between Ter Stegen and 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 the and the high line, so that he's come if he's got to come for the ball, which he doesn't have much taste for, he's not coming into a cluster of bodies, and they're hoping obviously that somebody will stray offside, and but it looks very odd. They're not unique in using it, but instead of defending sort of deep or in the middle of the penalty box, they leave this chasm of space. And if you time your run, and Marc-Andre Ter Stegen is neither a particularly tall goalkeeper, nor is he particularly happy with with crosses from either set plays or, or open play. And he's now decided to punch rather than catch. So, so they've been working on this Achilles heel, but it, it remains there. 
maybe they've diminished it a little bit. And therefore, in summary, um, I, I think my point of view hasn't surprised you in any way whatsoever. There's a, there's a marginal favouritism for Barcelona. If everybody's fit and on form, then they go through. If everybody's not fit and on form, Manchester United have learned not just from um, the second leg where they were, you know, they were still outplayed in Paris. I think that's arguable. But if they've learned from the way in which they they were rabbits in the headlight at, to, to PSG at Old Trafford, and if they win that leg rather than losing as they did to uh, Tuchel's team, then we've got a tie on. We definitely have a tie on. And um, it's at that stage where in recent seasons, whether it be in Paris or, or Turin or Rome, Barcelona have, have reached for extra gears and haven't found them. So I think it's a pretty fascinating tie. And, and what for your question to become needless worrying, then United also need to have their proper players um, fit. That injury list, which has been so troublesome, that needs to decrease and they need to go into the game with a really smart um, tactical plan, at which point it's game on. Next up is Steve Freeth, Chief Inquisitor at our sponsors, Bet365. From a bookmaking point of view, it'd be good to see this Manchester City quad beaten. Who if anyone, will stop them from doing it. First of all, I think, and Steve knows this, I, I think that Liverpool can and should win the title. I think that if, you, if you're brutally honest about it, City not only have the better squad overall, but probably um, still field the best 11. If, if each coach has their very best 11 uh, fit, then I think in, in terms of individual talent and previous winning experience, including titles, I think that City have um, a noticeable edge. The reason that I think that Liverpool can and and should uh, bring home the, the, the Premier League title, Steve, is that they have a distinct advantage in their fixtures between now and the end of the season. And I mean that even including the fact that they too have got a European date, which is very, very important, or European dates, um, against uh, Porto. But I, I look at uh, what I call the sort of, with the Masters coming up, I look at Eamon Corner, um, where, and I'll probably, dear socios, get my uh, list of my, my order of fixtures a little bit skew with. But my perception is that they play something, City play something like Crystal Palace and then three games against Spurs, two in the Champions League, one in the league, and then United. And I look at Liverpool and while there are one or two dangerous pit stops for them, um, and they have Spurs this weekend, and I hope this this podcast will be out before the, the Liverpool-Spurs game is, is decided... I, I, I strongly think that if Liverpool hit their form, there are far more bear pits for City uh, between now and the, their chance of um, tying up the, the quadruple. Because I, th I think you have to be utterly exceptional to not drop points from that sequence of Crystal Palace, Spurs, 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 Manchester United away. Sorry, Crystal Palace in London, Manchester United away. Spurs um, twice at home and once at the new Spurs Stadium, which is another little factor. You, you know, 
Spurs noticeably had a horrible time moving into Wembley initially and simply because they're moving in inverted commas home and the stadium's fantastic and everybody's billing and cooing about it and tickling its tummy. Um, it doesn't automatically mean that it's an advantage, but it should be. You know, the sheer will to win, um, the sheer joy of being into the stadium, not only because it's very good, but because it's been such an embarrassment trying to get the, the keys to the new house. Um, that should be a plus. It, it, it should be a pretty hostile place to go for another team. And City are, are a belt of stern stuff as well as all their brilliance of touch and technique and confidence and squad depth and managerial coaching ability. It, it, it should test them really, really strongly. And that's a big, long list, Palace away, where Palace is a team that they haven't enjoyed playing against. So Palace away... Um, three straight ties or three and three out of these um, five ties are against uh, a very clever, very determined Spurs side, and then United away in a in a match where whatever has happened to um, Solskjaer's team in Europe, the desperation for United to to try and trip City up, even if it's to Liverpool's benefit, and the desperation for them to try and have bragging rights in the last derby of the season theoretically <laughs> unless there were to be a Champions League can there be a Champions League final in Madrid on June the 1st I'm saying that with that quizzical note in my voice because I think it's true anyway in theory the last Manchester derby this season takes place at Old Trafford amidst that amen corner of um, of games for City and therefore Steve I, I, I think that City reached the final and to be honest with you I think the City win the FA Cup I've said to you from the start, I've said to Sussex from the start, I, I have my suspicions um, that City probably aren't quite yet hard-boiled enough to win the Champions League. Talented enough, I don't think there's any question, but I don't think they're hard-boiled enough. So I think that, Steve, however they progress against Spurs in the Champions League, my 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 guess, my bet, is that... Uh, that the Premier League is 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 going to go to Liverpool this this season, and there goes the quadruple, and they'll have to just make do with two or three trophies. Not too bad. Okay, we're going to take a quick break now. Back soon with more of your questions. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And we're back and I've got two linked questions for you, Graham. The first is from Gustavo Bagatini. Hi, Gustavo. Gustavo asks, Hi Graham, what do you know of any demands Zidane has made in order to return? Could these be de facto architect powers, as you call them, even without the job title? Thank you and keep up the great work. 
And before you answer that, Graham, let's have Lee Allen weigh in on the same theme. Lee asks, Am I right in thinking that Zidane is almost untouchable now? You leave with three Champions Leagues, the club falls apart, and then you're asked back. He must have so much power now. Yeah, I see why they're linked. Um, Gustavo, Lee, um, I really like the tone of your question, smart. Um, Okay, let's let's uh, Gustavo. Let's go back to the beginning. I take your point. That's a really shrewd way of looking at it. I I I wrote and and I read a column for um, socios and for ESPN readers that my concerns about the way in which Real Madrid are structured and the way in which decisions are made that they're very monochrome in the decision making, which is just spend on big players. And that the ability to be agile and to, to plan and to be hyper-modern and to counteract the boom and bust of of the pendulum swing that, that Florentino Perez um, doesn't encourage, he, he, he banks on. Now, the boom is pretty flipping sexy in that... Um, what did they win? Four out of five Champions Leagues, plus Sedan won a league. And there are assorted other um, titles which sometimes in the UK but around the rest of the world where we have listeners and I don't know where Gustavo and Lee are but the the world club title is taken very seriously in Spain and particularly by Real Madrid so there, there was you know when the when the pendulum swung um, to the positive side it, it was very very nice but you know we have to remember that just over a decade ago there was a flurry of coaches and Florentino Perez had to leave, resigned, walked away, and if not in disgrace, but certainly in embarrassment for similar reasons that Zidane was pointing out to him um, from about January 2018. And in fact, we're, we must be approaching just about the 10th anniversary of Florentino Perez coming back in elections when Ramon Calderon was, was wrongly ousted and wrongly accused. But at any rate, the, the boom and bust, it, it might be too strong a phrase, but it's not quite a bust, but if you look at the, the number of league titles won um, since Capello and David Beckham uh, won the title, I think the number is two. One for Mourinho, one for Zidane. It's a very poor return. Um, you look at the way in which this season has gone for them after finishing a record number of points in the league behind Barcelona champions last season the the the, the, the pendulum swim swing back the way because there isn't a great deal of um provision for forward thinking for equilibrium one of the things that that, that caused florentino needing to leave because Ruined were in a dreadful mess um just you know just over a decade ago was that they they'd gobbled up all the available big talent they'd spent so much that then the underlayer of, well, who do we bet on if we're not betting on the favourite? And that's largely what Florentino Perez has been doing over the piece. He's been saying, well, if the if it's a thoroughbred and I know the trainer and the, and the racing world is shouting about him, then I'll buy him. But there comes a stage where you have to bet on, um, I'm going to have, I'm going to grasp for a word now, yearlings. Or you have to bet on a, a stable where you need really good information about this, um, these new training methods and whether the Gallops have proven that you're buying something that looks good in the stud ring or is genuinely thoroughbred. And and that's where Real Madrid have fallen down, that inability to be really clear about um, not outside bets, but longer odds bets in terms of Varane when they pipped Manchester United to, to signing Varane. 
or Isco when Florentino Perez said um, he wouldn't get in our first 11. And Zidane, who wasn't then the coach, said, you're wrong, you have to buy him. And he did. And Zidane at that stage was director of football. So what Gustavo was talking about for anybody else who hasn't followed that debate is that I argued um, that there was a a bigger role for Zidane at Rodeo if he was returning, which was to become effectively director of football and to steer the club and to give the club... um, vision and <clears throat> balance and regularity and who's to be cleared out, which youth team guys are to be promoted, who's to be bought, how to negotiate with clubs, all this kind of stuff. Most of you have heard the idea. And therefore, this de facto idea that, as Lee points out, Zidane now has so much power and influence and has proven his point by walking away and, and having been for three or four months saying to the president things aren't right the president not listening and then Zidane having won the Champions League in Kiev um, you know after some pretty drastic struggles to get there particularly 3-0 up and then 2-0 down at the Bernabeu against Juventus for example um, the Bayern Munich tie was pretty hectic anyway my point would be that yeah, I, t- I, I think that, that y- y- you're shrewd in saying that Zidane has some of those powers now at his, at his fingertips because the president was so desperate when he got him back because his point has been made. But there are two things that don't undercut your argument at all, but two things that don't answer what I was writing when I said that he would have been better choosing the coach than becoming the coach. One is when you're coaching Real Madrid, it's a full-time nannying job. You are full-time... Even before you look at the strategy of scouting your opponents, planning how to play against them, you are you are looking after 20-ish pretty big egos and you are trying to make sure that they're in line, in line with your daily objectives, your weekly objectives, your uh, periodization in terms of the the August to mid-October period, the November to Christmas time, the what happens if we go to the um, World Club, all these types of things. How to be ready and powerful in March and April, which Barcelona haven't managed, but Roma did have. And on and on and on. Before you do all that, that man management, that Aitor Karanka calls it HR, that the modern elite coach is not much more than an HR manager. Now, that ebbs or flows depending on which club you're at and how, how giant egos you have in your squad. But, I, you know, I've been near Klopp recently for the big interview and he expends enormous amount of energy and time and strategy and brain power on managing his squad and on his individual men, changing their mentality, keeping their focus, making sure that they're happy, tending to little psychological cuts and bruises. So your next <laughs> your next job, Gustavo Lee, is to coach and to strategize and to react to defeats and to react to injuries and so on and so forth. You you all know what I'm talking about. So then be negotiating with clubs, planning, strategizing in the mid and long term with the president. Well, you need, you know, 27 days in a week and 44 hours in a day. So I can only go so far in agreeing with with each of you. Yes, Lee, 
his degree of influence and power and the degree to which his word now is law currently is very strong. But lose a few games and the fact that he shares uh, initials with Zorro um, won't, won't sort of um, leave him as Florentino's fox. It'll leave him foxed. Um, Real Madrid is a club where things move on quickly and if he was to lose focus and, and start concentrating on being a director of football with the coach's um, salary and name and then trophies were to go a-begging or matches were to be lost in Lopetegui style or Solari style, then his luster would would dim because that's the way Florentino Perez, Perez is. And therefore, I, I, I see the logic of what you're both saying. And currently, Lee, there's no doubt that um, there has very rarely in the modern era been a more powerful uh, rumoured coach than Zidane. And it's been earned in a number of different ways, underpinning all of which is Florentino's absolute <sighs> devotion to Zidane. But even that will go if the results weren't coming. It would take time, but it would go. Um, that's the way that the, this president is. So, um, yeah, good question, both of you. Enjoyed that. OK, we're going to end it there for now. There are lots more questions to come and they will be answered in part two of the Q&A available for you on Monday. For now, thanks for listening. Adios. Thank you for joining us for season 2018-19. We've got huge creative plans for the months ahead, but we do need your help to make them happen. Please go right now to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and become a social, become a paying member and get an extra big interview every month plus loads of bonus content. Last season, socios listened to nine exclusive big interviews including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Deeney, Roberto Di Matteo and loads of me talking about football. The Premier League, the Champions League, Spanish football... I'm sure they enjoyed it and you will too. Support us, join us. Thank you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.